Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. We simply don't talk about mental and relational health issues. And research shows when pastors speak about those issues, that on average, their church is 60% more healthy mentally and relationally. There's an unprecedented mental health crisis that is sweeping the globe. People are hurting in more ways than ever and in epidemic numbers. Today's guest has written a book about exactly that. His name is Dr. Jared Pingleton. He is a clinical psychologist as well as a minister. His latest book is titled Mental Health Ministry, The Struggle is Real. He hopes that his book will help ministries and leaders find the resources they need to help those who are struggling with mental health. We're joined today by Dr. Jared Pingleton. He's a clinical psychologist as well as a minister. He's also the author of numerous books, including his latest one, which we're going to talk about coming up in a little bit. But first of all, Dr. Pingleton, we want to get to know you a little bit better. You're involved in the mental health world and you enjoy helping people out. Tell us a little bit about why you got involved in this world and why you decided to choose this line of work. Well, I'm I'm a third generation minister as well as a licensed clinical psychologist. And to me, the ministry of hurting people is the most challenging and important one. And so that's the space that I've been working in since 1977. What is it that you love most about it? The redemptive, dramatic miracles that I have a front row seat on every day in my office when I see broken lives, broken relationships, healed, transformed, and redeemed. Now, speaking of broken people, a lot of these broken people have experienced trauma in their lives. A lot of the times they've experienced this trauma maybe in a church or around a church. If they experienced trauma and they're looking for help in the church, But the church hasn't always been a safe place to go. Why, as a church, are we in a place where mental health isn't discussed the way it should be? Great question. I I think, and I cover this in my latest book, Mental Health Ministry, there are four reasons to address uh, in your question. Um, And you can tell I'm a preacher because they all alliterate. But um, the first is silence. We simply don't talk about mental and relational health issues. And research shows when pastors speak about those issues that on average their church is 60 percent more healthy mentally and relationally. So there is a sense where, you know, healthy families talk out their feelings. Unhealthy families don't talk out their feelings. And that's true in the church family as well. The the second reason is secrecy. There is an an old saying in recovery nomenclature that says we are as sick as our secrets. And that's because often it's not safe in the church to be able to be real and transparent. We fear judgment, criticism, being ostracized, etc. And then the third and fourth reasons to your question have to do with shame and then stigma. Because we often are implicitly, if not explicitly, taught that if we have a mental health issue, we should be ashamed. Now, if we have diabetes, that's okay, right? Or if we have lumbago, even that's fine. But if we're suffering from an anxiety disorder, then no, we should feel ashamed about that. It's kind of the subtle implicit message in many quarters of the church, which is tragic. And then finally, the stigma. Labels are very pejorative. They're very... Um, negativistic. They're very judgmental. And so I think we have to do four things, Colleen, just in response. We have to end the silence. We have to expose the secrecy. We have to eliminate the shame and erase the stigma 
of mental and relational health issues. And that stigma is huge because most people are like, come on, get over it. This is all in your mind. You can fix it. And people are afraid. Like you said, people are afraid. They want to go to church because it's a safe place to go, but they're not feeling that way. So where do we even start? Where do we begin to start to change things? Because this has been a problem and an ongoing issue for years. And to this day, it's still an issue at a lot of churches. You're absolutely right. And uh, over the course of my career, I've certainly seen a lot of positive movement, but not nearly enough. And so I think we have to really focus on making the church a literal and figurative sanctuary to where people do feel safe to be able to be real. And pardon me, I, I know that, again, when we look at physical issues and disorders, we don't have the silence, secrecy, shame, and stigma. It, it's okay to take your insulin if you're a diabetic. It's okay to take your chemotherapy if you have cancer. But often people who are suffering with mental and relational health issues are often told they just need to pray harder or read their Bible more or go to church more frequently. And somehow mysteriously, almost magically, everything will be better. And then the other side of that coin is I have a friend who said, you know, depression is not a casserole disease. If you have depression, you you won't get the care and support and attention of the church as if you had a broken leg or you know a triple bypass where the church comes together to support and care for its hurting and its wounded. Well, I, I think the walking wounded of mental and relational health issues is much, much more prominent and much, much more common. In North America, we find that one out of four adults meets criteria for a mental health disorder, a diagnosable DSM-5 mental health disorder. And that is a big shock to many people. 50% of adults over their lifetime will suffer from a diagnosable mental health issue. So when you think about that, and by the way, in the church, it's one out of four and 50% over their lifetime. Um, The numbers are the same. But but there's more. Um, We have a litany of so many other issues. We have 115 people a day in the United States taking their own lives. We have 300 people per day dying of opioid um, overdoses that they're medicating their pain inappropriately. One out of four adults in America meets criteria for an alcohol use disorder. Let that sink in. One out of four adults in America have had an abortion and are suffering from post-abortion trauma. Um, Not just women, men also. And then we have one out of three girls, one out of four to six boys sexually abused in this country. It's an absolute epidemic with the mental health issues coming from that being enormous. We have um, one out of five teenagers struggling with an eating disorder. And the fatality rate is close to 20 percent of those kids um, and young adults as well. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's enormous. Then we look at other addictions, um, not just chemical addictions, but process or behavioral addictions. Pornography is epidemic. 80% of men, 60% of women use pornography regularly. Gambling is exponentially increasing. And the control that that puts on families' lives often is, is catastrophic. So in sum, what we're seeing today is that people are hurting in unprecedented ways and in epidemic numbers. And I'm passionate about how the church can step into that pain 
and minister to it effectively. Now you have two books where you discuss this. The first one is The Struggle is Real, and now you have Mental Health Ministry, The Struggle is Real. Tell us a little bit about those two books, what the difference is, and why we should be picking these books up and really digging deep into them. Sure. Um, I, I had the, the Lord gave me the idea for the first book, um, which was actually, I think, my seventh or eighth book at that point. But um, on this issue, the, the first book is um, coming from just the the pain I was seeing in my position as director of counseling services, focus on the family several years ago. And then, um, you know, really felt called to, to move into that space full time. So went over to the American Association of Christian Counselors to develop these um, resources and other ancillary things that have gone with that. So in talking about the struggle is real, what I wanted to do was just expose the church to the reality of the issues. And then more importantly, in the second book, the follow-up mental health ministry, this was like, okay, here's how to address the issues in a very tangible, practical way. And so after building the case in this second book, I I, I use a, a continuum of about 10 different models and methods of how faith communities can address and um, deal with directly mental and relational health issues on a continuum from, you know, in-church counseling-based programs to community-based programs to residential to full inpatient care. And so there are 10 different models and methods that are multinational, multiracial, multiethnic, multi-denominational, multi you know, specialization so that the entire rubric of mental health issues can be addressed in the church. So in these ways, it makes it convenient for faith leaders um, to be able to plug and play or hybridize or customize their congregational needs to the ways that those can be met. And, and here's why that's so important, Colleen. The, the reality is in North America, about 80% of all people that reach out for help with a, a struggle with a mental or relational health issue go first to their pastor, priest, or rabbi. Now, the problem with that is they're not trained about how to address mental health issues. And so that's why I created this resource to give them that opportunity, though they're the gatekeepers and they're the kind of frontline resources, they're often overwhelmed and don't have the time or the training to be able to deal with it. Now, did you interact with these pastors and whatnot while you were making the book? And if so, what kind of impact did you just connecting with them and chatting about this have on them? Well, I've I've done that actually for years. And of course, being a a minister and being on staff at a couple of large churches in the past, I speak that language, as it were, and understand those issues and uh, travel speaking around the country frequently. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I was at Christ Church of the Valley in um, Phoenix, Arizona, which had 70,000 people attend on Easter. It's the largest church in North America, um, training their 285 staff members on this book, The Mental Health Ministry. Um, Tomorrow I'm I'm heading down to Florida for two different um, conferences. I'm leading to pastors on these issues. And so um, I, I do speak in that space frequently, and that's my passion. That's what I believe is my calling. And so I'm, I'm excited and privileged to be able to do that. What have you seen come out of that? And what is it like to watch that and to see a church go through that and kind of, you know, have their eyes open and get all this information that they may not have known beforehand? 
It's it's actually very exciting and rewarding, Colleen, because the response for pastors has been overwhelmingly positive. Pastors themselves are are stressed to the max. We see that the attrition rate in that profession is the highest of any field. Uh, five out of ten pastors that are professionally trained drop out of ministry in the first ten years. Fifty percent attrition rate, and so. They are um, needing resources. They're hungry. They're they're starving for help, as it were. And so the response has been overwhelmingly positive, and they're very appreciative of, wow, here are some tools. And so that that's how I devised this book was with them in mind as an end user about okay, this is a toolbox that will help them. Well, they don't have to go to graduate school and become a you know mental health clinician or be trained for that, but this gives them practical, tangible resources that they can be able to use on a Tuesday when they get that 2 a.m. suicidal call that is terrifying for them. They don't know how to handle. Um, I, I give them resources and tools to be able to do that. And that's interesting because quite often we think of these pastors as superhumans or people that don't really feel what the average human feels. But in reality, these are people and they're human beings. And underneath this all at the end of the day, they may in return will also need to get some help for their own mental health. Correct. Because the burnout rate is just overwhelming, as I said, among pastors. And and it is that stress often that is the culprit for that. So, yes, absolutely. This is something that isn't going to be solved overnight. This is something that can take years to solve. What do you hope that your mental health ministry, The Struggle is Real book, will do to help? And do you hope that it will help expedite things? Well, I'm I'm very hopeful. Um, I mean, you're, you're right. The scope and the enormity is overwhelming if we think about it. But, um, you know, we have a big God. And so I believe that this is something that um, he's blessing and is something that is um, a part of his plan and will and design. And so I'm, I'm a vessel. And so on the one hand, yeah, I, I, I realize it's a huge uphill battle. But on the other hand, um, I believe that getting the word out organically and um, just God, it, it, you know, my calling was to, to create the resource He's got to worry about how it gets done. I, that's that's above my pay scale. <laughs> now, what about that pastor that may be listening going, how do I even do this? I can't do this. I'm mentally unwell myself. How do I even begin to know how to take these steps and take all these things and make it work in my own church when I myself can figure out my own mental health? What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I empathize with that Um that that pastor and and if he or she is is at a place to where they're overwhelmed i mean one of the things i talk about in the book is it's really difficult if not impossible to give that which we don't have we can't lead where we've not been we can't love our neighbor better than we love ourselves and so self care for pastors many times is a big struggle many times they feel guilty to take the time and resources to attend to their own needs but what i point out to them is if you're running a tow truck service, if you don't keep your own battery charged, you can't jumpstart other people's dead batteries, right? And and so often that can help with their guilt. But um, I do address those issues very thoroughly for those pastors in the book, um, including one chapter where we talk about um, creating a sabbatical respite for pastors to where they can really get away and, and recharge and deal with their issues well. 
That's so important. Now, going back to your book, Mental Health Ministry, the struggle is real. You've been saying that you're gearing it towards ministry, towards pastors. But is there anyone else that you'd like this book to reach as well? Yeah, it's it's really designed for faith leaders all across the continuum um, and uh, for people that are lay leaders that are heading up a support group. Um, they're facilitators for a celebrate recovery group or a grief share group or a divorce recovery group, or they're interested in how to start those kinds of ministries. I've got a section in the book that addresses all of that, how to build out all of the different support groups that exist and create those within one's own church uh, rubric and environment and how to customize those and apply them to that local specific congregation, as well as how to partner with other faith communities across maybe town or whatever to where we can network and we can support one another. So it's kind of all there in terms of how people that are sensitized to the needs of hurting people can make this happen, whether they're behind a pulpit or not. Um, If they're interested in serving hurting people within their local congregation, this is a toolbox about how to get that done. And like you said, it doesn't have to always be someone that's behind a pulpit. We can forget that part. There are also other people and resources out there that we quite often forget about. Right. Yeah, we're, we're all to be ministers and servants. We have this artificial clergy slash laity split, I think, in Western theology that's anti-biblical. So I think the person in the pew that the Holy Spirit just stirs in their heart, maybe their own issue or a loved one's issue. And it's like, hey, there has to be a way in a healthy church for these needs to be addressed. And so this book is written for them as well. Work as a community. For those interested in learning about you, learning more about mental health ministry, how do they go about doing that? Sure. Um, probably the easiest way is to um, access my website, drpingleton.com, D-R-P-I-N-G-L-E-T-O-N.com. Um, all my resources are there at a discount uh, from what they would be on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Walmart or whatever, .coms, but um, they're available there too. But um, the best way to get in touch with me and get resources at a discount would be through that website, drpingleton.com. Thank you so much for making time for us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my delight. Have a blessed day. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.